It's November 8th, 2021, and this is the Watson Weekly, your essential e-commerce digest. Today on our show, advertising slowing down with supply constraints, Bed Bath & Beyond signs a big partnership with Kroger, Amazon has a surprisingly challenging earnings, Shopify's fulfillment strategy remains a mystery, and finally, the Investor Minute, which contains five items this week from the world of venture capital, acquisitions, and IPOs. But first, in our shopping cart full of news, advertising may be slowing down with supply constraints. The biggest question brands have right now as we head into the peak of the holiday season, what are our options if we're short on supply? A recent report from the Wall Street Journal dives into this very topic and focuses on some major brands like Hershey's and Kimberly Clark, who are starting to make statements like, quote, it's not wise to drive demand while shelves are bare, end quote. In other words, if a brand's supply is limited, what's the point of advertising? This may sound counterintuitive if you've never run a brand or retailer before, but the logic makes too much sense. Once you're locked into a season, you have a set of inventory to sell through, and as fast as possible. What happens in a situation where you can predict the number of weeks of sell-through, but the product is going to sell out before the season is over? Well, at this point, you have two primary levers. One is price, and the other is promotion. Let's explore the effects of changing both on demand and other factors, starting with price. The simple laws of supply and demand say that if your price goes up, demand goes down. Demand going down is good because that stretches out your supply to meet the entire season, but what about other effects? Not only does demand go down, but your customer satisfaction might also decline. If you are perceived as taking advantage of shortages, price gouging, or you just look very high compared to your competition, that could tarnish your brand's reputation long term. But there are other ways to suppress demand in a supply-constrained environment. The simple answer is to reduce your demand generation efforts, in other words, advertising. While this could be a worry for the advertising industry in general, I don't expect it will miss things too much. What's really worrisome is this double whammy of supply-constrained brands combined with Apple's iOS changes which reduce visibility and effectiveness. This combination is powerful. The best advice I have for supply-constrained brands right now? Reduce your advertising slightly, but keep some cash in reserve to accelerate your business, particularly if you see per-click costs start to drop due to other brands following the same approach. You may be able to grab market share. Our second story, Bed Bath & Beyond signs a big partnership with Kroger. Last week, Bed Bath & Beyond got a major boost to its stock by signing an extensive deal with Kroger. The news was a little complicated, so let's break down what happened. First, Bed Bath & Beyond announced its own digital marketplace. Fun fact, I talked with Bed Bath about building its own marketplace almost eight years ago as CEO of Merchantry. Clearly, my salesmanship was completely unsuccessful. Anyway, although it wasn't announced, I have pretty much no doubt it's Miracle powering this, as this is the same provider used by Kroger's marketplace. Second, Bed Bath & Beyond announced it will power a number of home and baby categories for Kroger Online, with in-store experiments coming later. There are a few interesting topics to unpack related to this deal. First one is related to the Bed Bath Marketplace. I'll take it as a given that the site has enough traffic to support a marketplace, Online, there is no cost of extra shelf space, so it only makes sense that they use this to expand their business. The big question about the marketplace is, 
And this was highlighted by one of my LinkedIn followers. How many items on there will not also be on Amazon? Unless they can get unique supply, there will be almost no reason for people to switch their buying behaviors and the impact may not be as great as they believe it will be. Outside of Marketplace, the company also announced that they would be supplying baby and home products to Kroger stores. This is a lot more interesting to me. There are really only two possibilities here. One is that Kroger is using Bed Bath & Beyond as a kind of distributor to curate a selection into these stores. This approach strains credibility because Kroger has enough buying power to source these products directly. What is really gained by this tie-up? The other option, which no one is really saying out loud, is that this is really about the new Bed Bath & Beyond private label brands. In particular, how the company finds distribution partners to improve their sell-through. That would be an interesting play for Bed Bath. The magnitude of these stock rise over 30% in the past week suggests that there may be something else at play for Bed Bath & Beyond, however. What's being left unsaid also here? Investors are looking for a reason to believe that Bed Bath & Beyond is still relevant. What better way to do that than to partner with a company 30 times its market cap and incidentally could be a future acquirer? Kroger in particular is under a brutal assault from both Walmart and Amazon and may need to expand its categories and margins in order to stay relevant. I believe that investors are projecting a closer relationship and even a potential merger between the two firms at some point in the future. Our third story. Amazon has a surprisingly challenging earnings. Amazon reported Q3 earnings last week and had something of an interesting quarter, which they haven't had in some time, both a met revenue and a profitability miss. The short story is that the revenue grew at a smaller 15% year-over-year off of one of the best years in its history, so some of that is expected. And that continued with advertising growing only 50% year-over-year as opposed to their normal 70-80% to growth in previous quarters. Most companies would be happy to complain about 50% year-over-year growth. The bigger shock is on the cost side. In episode 7, we talked at length about FedEx and the challenges that they were having. Namely, FedEx can't hire workers so that their hiring costs and wages have increased. But still, they can't staff their facilities 100%. This leads to chaos costs in their network because now they have to route parcels away from the most efficient network nodes to fully staffed facilities that might be further away from the parcel's optimal path. As I listened to Amazon's earnings calls, I felt a sense of deja vu because this same formula is playing out. Now in Amazon's defense, we're dealing with a very different proposition here. The company has doubled its logistics capacity in the last 18 months since the start of the pandemic. So some of this is self-inflicted. Just think about that for a moment. Amazon doubled its fulfillment capacity in the past 18 months. That is breathtaking on its own. What is really happening here is that Amazon is experiencing what is known as a whipsaw effect. After a year of severe capacity constraints on FBA sellers and itself during the pandemic, Amazon was apparently determined to solve this problem at any cost. If you've ever read Eli Goldratt's books like Critical Chain, your first job when you hit a constraint in a supply chain is to elevate that constraint and crush it. Amazon did that masterfully in the CFO reports that it pulled virtually all of its 2022 network expansion forward into 2021. What it did not truly plan for was one of the tightest labor markets in a generation, so it lurched from one constraint to the next. What does this mean for them next? 
I expect that this will be only a short-term bump in the road for Amazon. Despite the media narrative or how horrible the company treats its workers, it literally gives new drivers a water bottle that they then use to urinate in to save time and improve their metrics. Amazon actually does have the higher wages and better benefits than 90% of the logistics market. So this will solve itself as well, just not on a neat quarterly boundary. The bigger question in my mind is, is if Amazon is doing this poorly, how can the rest of the logistics industry have any hope? Seems to me that consolidation is coming fast. And our last story, Shopify's fulfillment strategy remains a mystery. Shopify reported earnings last week, and we'll talk about that. But first, I wanted to talk a bit about what they're doing in fulfillment. On the very first question at the end of Shopify's earnings call, the CEO was asked the following question, quote, what is Shopify doing to combat supply chain issues and logistics cost inflation? End quote. What followed was a masterclass in how to fumble a completely softball question starring Toby Lutka. His answer, first of all, rambled all over the place, but ultimately landed on a strange response indicating that its merchants had margin and were buffering these costs, to which I have a few responses of my own. One, how are you not prepared for such a simple and obvious question? Two, how can their customers not see this as anything but a big F you and you guys need to fend for yourselves rather than Shopify coming to their rescue and, you know, actually doing something to help? Three, let's back up and talk about Shopify's message. You are arming the rebels against the evil empire Amazon, that same evil empire that happens to be one of the biggest and best providers of logistics in the world. It sounds to me like Shopify is going to a gunfight with only a knife, doesn't it? This is just poor strategic positioning on Shopify's part and not understanding the intent behind the question, which to me calls into a question a bit the experience of the management team. So what would have been the correct answer to this question? To me, it's simple. We are building out our fulfillment offering. Unfortunately, it's still nascent, so we can't help enough people right now. We realize that, and as a result, we're really accelerating those investments. That's all they really needed to say. And it's telling to me that they may not, in fact, be accelerating their fulfillment investments, which means they are still tinkering around the edges in a market that I think, truthfully, they have no business in to begin with. It's that time, friends, for our Investor Minute. We have five items on the menu today. First, American Eagle Outfitters offers to buy 3PL firm Quiet Logistics for over $350 million. This continues the trend of large retailers buying logistics companies for expertise, but also for the purpose of diversifying into service-based revenue streams. Second, e-commerce software provider Avalara recently bought closely held automated HS classification software provider 3CE. What is HS classification? While customs brokers all over the world use what are called HS or harmonized codes to accurately classify and rate the goods being transported internationally. The problem that retailers and marketplaces with wide selection have is that it's often very complex to understand the right codes to assign to those parcels. And the cost of doing that improperly can mean penalties and fines or worse. My friends Craig Reed and Meg Higgins at Avalara, I'm sure, had their hands all over this acquisition. Third, Louisville-based social commerce provider Go Wild raises $2.5 million in order to expand its e-commerce operations. The company is focused specifically on the hunting and fishing communities. The thing I like about companies like this 
is that they brought e-commerce to an engaged, active community that cares about their gear. Too many companies are instead doing the opposite, selling gear to an unengaged buyer base. Fourth, logistics provider Deliver is raising a $250 million funding round at a $2 billion valuation. Deliver is one of the leading providers in the market, and their rise has been propelled since the beginning by their ability to fill quickly for marketplace sellers who require high reliability. They made a name for themselves early on with their partnership with Walmart's Marketplace, powering their two-day delivery program from the early days. And finally, e-commerce checker provider Bolt raises $777 million at an $11 billion valuation. I feel like we just said this in our last episode, but yes, the company is raising money again. How they increase their valuation so quickly is a little bit beyond my capabilities. If we aren't in some kind of payments funding bubble, we're really close to it. Raise money now if you can, folks. One more thing. I noticed Pinterest and Walmart are in a new tie-up. The common denominator in the previous PayPal rumor, Etsy's worry about Pinterest power over them, Albertson's tie-up with Pinterest, and now Walmart integrating Pinterest is that customers love it. It seemed to be the cutest girl at the dance. Caught me among the believers that Pinterest is a great long-term player in this space because they understand how to deliver to their audience. That's all for this week. Till next time, Watsonians. Hi, I'm Rick Watson, CEO and founder of RMW Commerce Consulting and host of the Watson Weekly Podcast, your essential e-commerce digest. Our show is produced by Citizen Racecar. Alex Brower is the producer and also wrote our theme music. The executive producer is David Hoffman. To hear new episodes of the show every Monday morning, subscribe now at rmwcommerce.com slash Watson Weekly and wherever you get your podcasts.